everybody, it's Dr. Pedruti. Welcome to today's Intellectual Medicine Podcast. Today, Shannon, what do you think? Should we talk about sex and older people? Go for it. We'll talk about sex and older people. A study, so we'll talk about that. We're talking about sex and older people. The nature of studies, we're going to talk about something called confirmation bias and the way that it can color your medical experience. Um, so in no particular order, I kind of like the topic of confirmation bias because it is so pre- prevalent. We see this in the political arena and it's in the medical arena. Simply stated, it is when you already have a predetermined conclusion on a topic and you're simply looking for evidence to validate what you already believe. You're not seeking to really explore innovation or new ideas. You may be seeking to kill innovative ideas with your predetermined opinion. Now, this happens in medicine frequently. Uh, here's an example of a confirmation bias. I had a friend of mine whose children were arguing about whether or not Santa Claus was real. And you can imagine this argument, Shannon. This happens in every household, right? At some point, the older kids are becoming more aware, perhaps. Anyhow, they both ran to their parent and said, is Santa Claus real or not? And the parent looked at the children and said, Santa Claus is as real as your imagination. And the two kids looked at each other and said, see, I told you I was right. They said it almost simultaneously. The same information being interpreted differently based upon the listener who had a preformed opinion that they wanted to have confirmed. We see this in uh, intellectual medicine. I had a recent experience with a cardiologist. Patient of mine is a diabetic and has had a heart attack. Now, those of you that follow us regularly will immediately say, my goodness, that patient needs chelation. Based upon the trial to assess chelation therapy, a major multi-centered placebo-controlled study was published in a major medical journal, demonstrated profound reduction of heart attack, stroke, subsequent death, in diabetics who received intravenous chelation therapy. This is not on the fringe. This is a fastball down the middle. And yet, many doctors in standard care therapy are unaware of this information, choose to remain unaware of it, or reject it when it's presented. So now back to my patient. They propose admitting my patient to the hospital to introduce a drug designed to help control a symptom. So my patient came to me and said, I need more information about this doctor. I'm not sure I want to do this approach. Can you please talk to my cardiologist, which I did. And I asked the cardiologist, because the, the cardiologist said to my patient, by the way, I think the chelation therapy is snake oil. Okay. First of all, that's a little bit insulting of a manner in which to speak to a professional, to another professional. Now, I would like to put in a plug for tempered language amongst people in authority. Aren't we all just tired of grown men and women acting like junior high kids and poking each other in the eye like the Three Stooges? I get it. We have different political opinions. And it can be fun to say things in a colorful and descriptive manner. But back to my point here. Snake oil, really, with a tack trial in hand, So I had this background information. I put in a call to the doctor who carved time out of her incredibly busy schedule to deign to speak with me. And here's how that conversation went. 
the drug you're planning on uh, introducing to my patient, will it prevent them from having a risk of death? No, it won't. Okay. Um, it will just help their symptom. Okay. Would you be considering delaying that treatment while my patient pursues other therapy, lifestyle changes to try to reduce the symptom? No, I think it'd be dangerous. All right. I'm not following the logic, but fair enough. Tell me your thoughts about chelation therapy. I queried the doctor, wanting to know the uh, source of concern. Well, it's not going to do anything, but if she wants to do it, I don't care. Um, then I said, are you familiar with the TACT trial? I don't want to be disrespectful, but I wanted my cardiologist consultant to have the information that I was operating from. I'm too busy. I can't talk to you about that response. Cardiologist. Too busy. Um so for those of you in the know, and this is, this is one of the things that's rattling healthcare, and that is a threat to their authority and to their autonomy. Confirmation bias exists when you are resilient to processing new information. Anything that's new that threatens my pre-held belief, I'm going to reject. I'm going to find something out there that will validate what I believed. But entering new data and altering my opinion is beyond my capacity. We find this type of intellectual petrification more common. Ironically, the higher up in specialty that some individuals achieve. It's not universal. Some of the greatest consultants I know are profound intellectuals with a broad range of thought. Most people like to hold on to simple facts that are easier to manage. Especially true when people are in an administrative and bureaucratic capacity and they're super busy. They just like to do the same thing and repeat it. Now, we've got to talk a little bit about, we will get to sex and aging, I promise. It's important. But chelation, chelation, chelation. Lead kills. Lead is ubiquitous. You have it in your body. I've got it in mine. We have a forthcoming paper that we'll be producing that will demonstrate the profound value in lowering total body lead after a series of 10 intravenous chelation therapies. This is exciting because we know that lead is a pure toxin. Should I ever tell you about the guy I did his lead level? He asked me, is my lead level high enough? <laughs> you want to know? You want to know? I, I shouldn't laugh, the poor fellow, right? I mean, at least he's getting it tested. Lead is a pure toxin. Any amount of lead is toxic. Now, you can't get to zero, we do have a capacity to tolerate some toxin, but lower is better. It's that simple. Every year, a quarter of a million people will die due to cardiovascular consequences of chronic lead exposure. Not Flint, Michigan, sudden surge of lead in the blood. We're talking you and I breathing it in the air, eating it in our food, drinking it in our water. People always say, I don't know, I don't know where the lead came from. Really? Well, freaking planet's polluted. They did a study on uh, prehistoric bones and they found that their lead levels were something like a thousand times less than ours. Not good. So chelation, getting that lead, and also um, gadolinium, cadmium. Cadmium is a carcinogen. It's been correlated with a higher risk of breast cancer in women. So chelate, please, and study that and research it. So the point I was making... When you do your own research and you present it to your doctor, you're likely to get slapped down by, I'd say, 8 out of 10 docs. Do you think that's a fair estimate? Okay. I'd say 8 out of 10. Mm -hmm. You go to the doctor and say, hey, doc, I read, I heard, I studied, I went on the internet. And they're saying, ah, get back. They have like the cross, right? 
evil internet evil. No, you're pretty smart people. I know that because you're listening to me. It's a sign of high intelligence. And you're processing what I'm saying. Another sign of high intelligence. And if you're a little bit skeptical, so much the better. Because then you'll go and it'll validate the things I'm talking about. If in the world of standard medicine there is a treatment that works, you go for it. In the absence of a treatment that works, logic dictates you seek alternatives. So, with our patient, with their heart disease, with chelation, why not? The evidence supports it. Better than drug therapy. Better than drug therapy. No guarantee. And here's confirmation bias in action. Confirmation bias in action. I'm 60 years old now. I feel great. I practice what I preach. I do chelation therapy. I'm doing intravenous nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide or NAD. You'll be hearing and reading more about that as an anti-aging support. I'm on hormone therapy. I feel great. Here's my point, though. Someday I will die. It's likely. Right? When I die, the confirmation bias will be like this. The people who never believe that anything I say or do has any value will point at my dead body and say, you see, he died. It didn't work. I could be 110, and that'll be their conclusion. So we can't get away from that. Somebody once said it's true. The way to make other professionals accept the fact that you're right and they're wrong is to wait for them to die. They'll simply never do it. So we have to outlive this generation, you and I. All right, what about sex and age? Well, we'll that, but we're going to talk about the big three. This is an important study. The Society to Improve Diagnosis in Medicine. There's such a society. Good for them. We need to improve diagnosis in medicine. Found that three entities were the cause. I'm going to quote Dr. Newman Toker, the author of this uh, paper. 75% of serious harm from diagnostic errors occurred within the realm of these three entities. And if you have one of them or you think you may have one of them, this information can be helpful. Diagnostic errors leading to harm happen with vascular, cancer, and infectious causes. Vascular, we're talking things like strokes, aneurysms, um, deep vein thromboses, blood clots. With regard to cancer, well, you fill in the blank. All the cancers were at risk of being missed or incorrectly diagnosed. With regard to infection, it had to do more in the pediatric cohort, but sepsis, pneumonia, etc. The The advice was, when there's doubt and uncertainty, be proactive in getting another opinion. This can be hard to do. Doctors, your family doctor, sees 40 people every day, 30 people. My point is, they're time pressured. Time, you ever watch a sporting event? You ever see people make bad errors in sports? Usually there's a compression of decision-making time. There's pressure on them. I coach a little youth sport. I love to coach. And I always advocate pressure the ball because a person will make a bad decision. Time pressure makes it harder to be a doctor. And as great as doctors are, they're not perfect. Inevitable human error weaves in. Here's my point with all this. Your doctor may be time pressured and may not have processed all the detail about your symptom in a manner that enables them to make a bullseye diagnosis. Therefore, if you get that feeling inside of you that maybe 
you're not getting well fast enough, ask him for a, a referral. It's okay, right? It's okay to do that. My father was a family doctor. He always told me, if somebody asks for a referral, oblige them. They're telling you they want to get another opinion. It's never bad. They will either validate your thought or shed new light. And because doctors are so busy, and here's another creepy detail. There are some doctors who are being graded on how much resources they use. Isn't that true? They get graded so that, in other words, they either want to minimize referrals or, this isn't universal, but it depends on how the doctor's compensation and insurance works, or they want to um, refer in their network, or they're going to be audited. This is another creepy detail by the insurance company that has a computer to watch what they do. And they'll come in and see, you know, Dr. Smith, you're referring people out at 0.8% greater rate than your peers. That's kind of ominous because the insurance companies can cut you off as a doctor. They can do that. So moral of the story is this. Vascular infectious cancer concerns worthy of second opinions. I think that's the best path if you're not certain about how you're moving forward. Now we got to talk. We got to talk about sex and aging. And sex and aging, why? Because they did a study that found that sex is less satisfying as you get older. Now pause the thought. We really needed a study to, to, to validate this. Isn't this sort of common knowledge? You know, they did a study recently on monkeys. I, I, I don't know. They, I gotta, can I, it has nothing to do with sex and aging. But we'll get back to that. On monkeys, they let the monkeys watch movies that they knew monkeys would like. How do they know the monkey likes a movie? Well, apparently there was another study that proved that monkeys like watching movies with other monkeys. This is at Duke University. This is serious. What are these, monkey porno movies? I don't know what's going on out there. but So monkeys like watching other monkeys in the movies. Now, in the study at Duke University, remember people, somebody paid for this. The monkeys watched the movie together, and they found that after they watched the movie together, the monkeys bonded more. They touched each other more. They cuddled more. The conclusion was that a shared experience amongst certain mammals like monkeys may help them bond. Now, this was heretofore felt to be a uniquely human phenomenon. Now, mind you, they couldn't interview the monkeys. They really just had to surmise this based on their obvious. And I hate to be so, like, I don't know, maybe this is my confirmation bias coming through. Who cares? They're monkeys. And we're not going to put them in a bunch of monkeys at a drive-in? What's the point of all this? Well, one of their conclusions was... That in today's day and age of individual screens, we lose the commonality of experience. I think there's legitimacy to that. I don't think we needed a study for that. I don't think we needed monkeys. So, the study of the obvious. You know, in, in academic circles, some, it drives me nuts, right? You really need a study. Here's another thing that, I, that, I, that bugs me. Why bother looking at the bone density of aging women when you know it's going to thin. It's like it's like putting an ice cube on the asphalt in July and taking a series of photographs to see if it'll melt. Thinning bone is inevitable amongst women as they age. You lose bone density. So the issue at hand is do something about it. Not drugs, not biphosphonates, not Boniva, not Fosamax, hormones. Now we get to the sex part. See, I told you, I had to hold out. So there's no reason 
for sexual decline as we age, none. We believe at Intellectual Medicine, and many of my anti-aging colleagues would concur, that a strong, healthy libido is a sign of hormonal, vascular, and brain health. When you start to fade in your capacity, you lose interest. Now, I've had some people say to me, but doctor, I don't have a partner. That's not the issue. The issue is spontaneous sexual thought and interest and subsequent activity are your birthright. They are part of the human experience. They are part of health. They are like a vital sign. And when they fade, it's not inconsequential. You don't simply shrug your shoulders. Well, you could, I suppose. You could shrug your shoulders and say, you know what? It's been a nice run. I'm going to retire that part of my life. We don't advocate for that. Even if you're a celibate single person, we don't advocate for that because you're neglecting a part of the substrate of your health. So the idea that, and this is where, this is where some of the recommendations bother me. We recommend that you accept the fact that your erections are weak and that you know, you've got vaginal dryness and you just kind of accommodate, don't accommodate it, you fix it. You go on the hormone therapy so that your genitalia stay healthy. Your brain stays active and engaged. Up unto your death. You either replace those hormones or you suffer the consequence. Can we say it more clearly? The evidence continues to come in supporting this position. Confirmation bias does exist. People that think hormones are going to give you cancer, they're going to hurt, they're going to... If your doctor rears back and says, ah, it's hormone therapy, it's, it's time out. Emotion is no substitute for information. The information supports the value of hormone therapy. Now, you can find a study out there, and they're out there, that will warn people about hormones causing heart attacks, strokes, and cancer. You can hone in on those, and that becomes your binky for confirmational bias against hormones. Or you can look at those studies, counterbalance them with the abundant studies showing enormous benefit, and put it into your own risk-benefit equation. Benefit, risk. <laughs> One supremely beneficial risk, either non-existent or small, based upon our interpretation of the literature, that of our colleagues in the field, and that of our patient's experience. Clearly, other opinions are out there, and it's your prerogative to choose to pursue them or not. We encourage you, though, to engage in the reflection. So hormonal replacement led to critical key elements that you want to keep in mind regarding your health. Now, a brief conversation about health versus your sick insurance. You don't have health insurance. You have sick intervention insurance. It's there when you break, when things fall apart. You want abundant health, it's your prerogative. But you're going to have to go get it. Nobody's going to deliver it to you. Your insurance will not pay for it. Somehow over the years, we've distorted our perception of healthcare to believe that it's something someone else should pay for. Why? This drives me nuts too, though, while we're on the issue of other people paying for stuff. If you're an illegal immigrant in California, you don't worry, your healthcare is paid for by the state of California. So I was talking to my son, young, bright guy. He said, well, if they want to do that in California, I don't care. It's California. I said, yeah, but it's our federal money supporting it. So no matter what state you're in, 
is a financial shift into illegal immigrant health care. As a, as a spiritual human that wants all people to do well, we should extend ourselves to help our fellow man. But it doesn't mean we're going to pay for health care for the entire freaking world. And you extend the logic or the illogic, and that's where it leads. If we're paying for illegal immigrants in California, why stop there? The sickest people can't even make the trek up here. They're back in Honduras. Let's pay for them. The irony, of course, is if you go to California from Utah, you're out of luck. They're paying for nothing. This is mind-bogglingly stupid, and it commingles issues together that don't belong. We love immigrants. We want more of them. We want them to be legal and processed quickly, and we got issues there. And but this, so it all ties into healthcare. I got on this tangent because health insurance doesn't matter when it comes to you pursuing your highest level of health for the vast majority of you. I have, I have a health share program. Actually, I use Liberty Direct Health Share for my own healthcare needs. If I get a heart attack, that's what I'll use. In the meantime, I invest every month in my health, in my hormones, in my IVs. Why? Because I believe in its benefit to my health. So for everybody, we've got a threshold of anti-aging, health maintenance and support. It doesn't happen through hospitals and insurance, right? That's that. I feel better already. <laughs> I feel better. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to have a wonderful show on Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, WPRO. It'll be a live show, 99.7 FM, and we'll be on Facebook Live. Correct, Shan? When? Saturday morning. Saturday morning, Facebook Live. Um, thanks for tuning in, folks. I'm Dr. Steve Federuti. This is Intellectual Medicine and the IM120 Drip Bar, the safest, most inspected, most validated, most, can I say it, one of the most advanced, if not the most advanced, center for intravenous infusion of vitamins, chelation, cancer support therapy, vitamin C, mistletoe therapy. What else? NAD for anti-aging and mitochondrial support, and yes, even stem cells. Right? Right. All right. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.